Amen. Woohoo! Look at those handsome guys. <sighs> well, you know, I don't know if you caught this. So, first of all, thank you for reading our scripture this morning. Um, that's my husband Craig and my boys Chad and Connor. And I don't know if you caught it, but Rosie prayed her ended her prayer with two of those verses. When she came and did the walkthrough, we kind of do a little walkthrough, and she started, and she told me what they were, and I'm like, oh, those are the ones that we selected for the scripture reading. And she said, oh, should I cut it? I'm like, oh, no, that means God really needs us to hear it, because that's twice. So will you pray with me as we begin? Lord, open our eyes to what you have for each one of us. Lord, and thank you that you have had your loving gaze upon us our whole lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so this is totally voluntary, but I'm going to ask a couple of questions. And the first one being, and you can just raise your hand, you know, and let me know, how many of you have ever heard of the story of Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus that's in the Bible? Kind of. Okay, so about half and half. Okay, so now I'm going to ask some multiple choice questions. And, <laughs> and um, I'm going to ask that you answer uh, at the end of the question. I'll say, okay, give me the number. And it's either going to be one, two, or three. And this is totally voluntary, okay? So here we go. Zacchaeus was a Levite priest, a chief tax collector, or a judge. Okay, show me. One, two, or three. Okay, I see ones, I see twos, I see some threes. Okay, perfect. Zacchaeus, I'm not going to tell you the answer because you're going to get it when I read the passage. So that, you'll have to pay attention. Um, so Zacchaeus climbed, one, an olive tree, two, a eucalyptus tree, three, a sycamore tree. One, two, or three. Oh, kind of a lot of you knew that one. Okay. Now, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are the first four uh, books of the New Testament that talk about the life of Jesus. And so, is the story of Zacchaeus in one of the Gospels, two of the Gospels, or three of the Gospels? Okay. Okay. I've got some ones, twos, and some threes. Yes. Okay, good. And the name... Zacchaeus, and don't look this up on your phone really quick. The, <laughs> the name Zacchaeus in Greek or kind of Hebrew derivation that I'm not even going to try to pronounce is either prophet, pure, or powerful. So which one is it? Is it prophet, pure, or powerful? Oh, you guys are chicken. Come on, pick one and commit. Okay, I've got them all. Well, good. And then true or false, one true, two false. Zacchaeus had a beard. I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming he did. I don't know. But at that time, most of them did. But, well, first, this story Popular to my miss on the beacon is not from John. It's actually from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And it's the only time that we see or read the story of Zacchaeus. So here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, 
and was rich. I see some of the guys going, yeah. Uh, He was trying to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and he was happy to welcome Jesus. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he's going to be the guest of one who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And after reading the scripture, sometimes after reading a scripture or passage in the Bible, We can kind of look at her story. Okay, well, kind of who are the characters? And what did it kind of mean at that time? You know, in that context, how was the story? Might it have been understood? And then also to really spend our time looking, how does this, what does this story teach us about God or in this story about Jesus? How was Jesus interacting with the people? And then how might that kind of inform and teach us in our journeys of faith. So I am going to share with you a couple of things that stood out to me. And then also, James Martin, the author of the book Jesus that Pastor John has been using throughout this series, such a good book. So uh, it'll be from both of those texts. And I'm going to start by showing you a picture of a sycamore tree. Now, this is actually believed to be the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed over 2,000 years ago. It has been dated to be that old. It's in Jericho, and as you can see, there are lots of people that have, uh, you know, make a regular routine of going on their uh, visit to the Holy Land to see the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. So first, Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. So it says he, he hurried, he ran ahead, and he climbed the tree. If you remember right, Men, and especially wealthy men, did not run. But Zacchaeus was willing to kind of let go of the dignity of that status because he really wanted to see Jesus. He was willing to go out on a limb, literally. And it's interesting, I looked up the definition, and, and being out on a limb says that sometimes it's just putting, uh, putting ourselves at risk or being willing to put ourselves at risk and be vulnerable. Well, maybe Zacchaeus had heard, oh, you know, the rabbi, he's been healing people, the, the blind, the lame, and he even eats with tax collectors. Wait, I think I heard, I don't know if it's true, but one of Jesus' disciples is a tax collector. See, Zacchaeus was wealthy because he was the chief tax collector. And what that meant, a tax collector worked for the Roman government. And it it was a corrupt system, but they would take taxes from the community and oftentimes 
the tax collector would take more than they were supposed to. And they would get rich, and those they collected from oftentimes wouldn't have enough. So you can imagine, here's Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in charge of all the tax collectors in Jericho. So you can probably guess how maybe Zacchaeus was perceived by his community, most likely an outsider. Well, Jesus calls Zacchaeus' name. Now I can imagine Zacchaeus going, how does Jesus know my name? Now, we don't know if when Jesus was kind of coming in, he leaned over to someone in the crowd and he said, who's the guy in the tree? (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. Um, (laughs) Because I suspect that Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. Well, now we have the crowd. Now, I wonder if the crowd is saying, oh, Jesus is calling Zacchaeus. Boy, I bet Zacchaeus is going to get it now. He's been taking advantage of us. He's been collecting too much. Get him, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I'm going to be a guest, or I'm going to stay at your house today. What? Says the crowd grumbles and complains. Jesus has gone to be with a guest of one who's a sinner, and at that time that meant didn't keep all the laws and commands. Why would Jesus spend time with him? We're keeping the laws and the commandments. He should be spending time with us. See, all the crowd could see was that Jesus was a despised tax collector. He was the thief. He was undeserving an outsider, definitely not one worthy to spend time with Jesus. But this grumbling crowd did not dissuade Zacchaeus. It says he hurried down and he was happy to welcome Jesus. And several translations say, with excitement and joy. And then what do we see from Jesus? I like Martin adds, Once again, Jesus approaches someone who is seen as undesirable. His offer to dine with Zacchaeus reflects again Jesus' practice of sharing meals with all kinds of people. Ah, and I love this. And it gives a public statement of welcome, of worthiness, and acceptance. Jesus publicly pronounces to Zacchaeus, Salvation has come to your house today. Zacchaeus, you too are the beloved of God. I wonder if by Jesus inviting, him to, uh, inviting, uh, uh, inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house and eating with Zacchaeus and seeing him with eyes of welcome and of love and acceptance, if it brings Zacchaeus to become aware of how he had been treating the community, those that he had wronged. Because without even being prompted, Zacchaeus in this text says, I will give half of what I have to the poor. And I will repay four times those that I have wronged. A public act of humility, acknowledging what he had done wrong 
in front of everyone. So Jesus brings transformation to Zacchaeus, who becomes a follower of Jesus. And the name Zacchaeus in Hebrew, Greek, derivation, means, wait for it, pure, righteous even. From one of my favorite authors, a transformed heart, one who has received grace and mercy and restoration, expresses itself through a changed life that inevitably changes the lives of others. Friends, Jesus has invited himself into our homes, into all homes, because he sees us with eyes of love. And we have to work really hard and follow this, that, and the other. As I am, as we are, Jesus says, you too are my beloved. It is a gift of God's grace and mercy. And then Jesus extends this blessing in an ongoing relationship. And all I could think about when I was thinking Jesus invited himself and probably had a meal with Zacchaeus. I thought, you know, Jesus does that when we have communion together. And then Jesus invites us into uh, his work in this world. Jesus knows our name and brings transformation. And I have a story that I want to share with you. And yes, I'm pulling out the tissues. And I have a story about transformation and the power of transformation. It's a story about Margaret. And from the first day, Margaret came to class in that one-room schoolhouse. She and Mrs. Gardner, the teacher, didn't get along. Over the years, the animosity between them only worsened. Until one fateful day when Margaret again came in late after recess. She was nine. Margaret! Mrs. Gardner shouted. We have been waiting for you. Get up right now and you come to the front of this class and you face your classmates. Margaret walked slowly to the teacher's desk. And Mrs. Gardner said, this is a true story. Boys and girls, Margaret has been a bad girl. I have tried to help her be responsible to be on time. But she's just not learning. So we must teach her a lesson. She is being selfish, and she's actually being a selfish person, so I want each of you to come to the front of the board, and I want you to write something bad about Margaret. And maybe that will motivate her to be different, to be a better person. So one by one, the students slowly made their way to the board and with a piece of chalk wrote, Margaret is stupid. Margaret is ugly. Margaret is a loser. On and on they went until all 25 had written something bad about Margaret. Says, you know, that day, Margaret left, walked home, crawled into bed, 
and cry, tried to cry the pain away. And it never left. So 40 years later, she slumped in the waiting room of her therapist's office. Two long years of weekly counseling, Margaret finally began to separate herself from the past. Because to her horror, Margaret had become many of those things that those kids had written on the board. It had been a long and difficult road, but she smiled at her counselor as they talked about her readiness to move on. Well, Margaret, the counselor said, I guess it's graduation day. How are you feeling? I'm okay. The counselor hesitated and said, Margaret, I know this is going to be really difficult, but will you recount one more time what happened in that schoolhouse and relive uh, all those kids going up, what they wrote and how it felt. So it says one, and she said she would, and she began the painful description, and one by one the, described how the students went up. And she kind of started sobbing, crying for a long time, and the therapist was whispering, Margaret, Margaret. And she said, Margaret kind of caught herself and looked up at the counselor. And she said, Margaret, you left one person out. I certainly did not. I have lived this story for 40 years. I know every single person in that room. No, there's one more. Do you see him? He's in the back of the classroom. And he's standing up. And he's walking over to the teacher and he's grabbing a piece of chalk. And he's going to the board and he's picking up an eraser and he is erasing all of those sentences. Do you see him? Do you recognize him? It's Jesus. And he is writing new sentences. And do you know what they say? They say, Margaret is beautiful. Margaret is loved. Margaret is kind. Margaret is strong. Margaret has courage. And says, and Margaret began to weep, but quickly the weeping turned to a smile and then laughter and then tears of joy. Because after 40 years, Margaret no longer felt condemned, alone, rejected, she now sees herself as the beloved of God. But what's amazing is she's had that name all along. But what happened in that schoolhouse covered that up with scars of pain. And friends, I think all of us experience that in that we either believe the names that we call ourselves or we believe the names that somebody else has called us that aren't true. Or sometimes we call people names that are not true. Maybe it's a little bit of all of them. Because I think it's a challenge to see ourselves as the beloved, but also to see that in others especially those that may not see things exactly the same way we do.
I know that sometimes I am in the crowd. And I get distracted by my judgment. Forgetting the humanity of the person. Lord, forgive me. Because I am called, we are called, to represent Christ's love and healing and welcome in this world. You know, a few years ago, I shared a sermon about kintsukuri. I don't think I'm butchering that. Um, But it's a Japanese art. And it is amazing that when something is broken, they can use um, kind of a powdered or liquid gold, a precious metal, silver, platinum, to bring the item back together again. And it's almost a part of the history of that object. Well, after that sermon, one of you uh, sent me or gave me a gift. And it's this cross Can you see the kind of the outline of the gold where the cross had been broken and it was put together with the gold? What a beautiful reminder that we don't have to hide our cracks, our chips, our brokenness. Because we all have it. But there's also the beauty of restoration. And I love that the stone is in the shape of a cross. Because again... This will be the third time you've heard it this morning. We have been rooted and grounded in the love of God. Unfathomable love, sacrificial love of God. Because God goes out on a limb for us. In Philippians 3, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself publicly And became obedient to death. Death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. That all people will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, may we be willing to go out on a limb. And to run. To hurry towards Jesus. And to, you know, ignore the crowd, the grumbling, maybe move away from the crowd, and invite others to join along. As we experience, I will say, join in the truth that we are all the beloved of God. And then may we respond with our words and our actions with a transformed heart that expresses itself in a changed life that touches the lives of others, inevitably. Amen? Amen.